Welcome to Storytelling. This week's guest is a seasoned leadership coach and a dynamic force behind the podcast Frustrated and Exhausted, a podcast for women in leadership, which brings a unique blend of diplomacy, leadership and personal transformations to her insightful discussions. With a rich background in leadership, coupled with the profound experience of adopting three children, her journey has evolved into a mission She is fervently dedicated to empowering women in leadership, ensuring they thrive without compromising their sanity or well-being. Please join us as she navigates the nuances of leadership, offering a compassionate perspective on reshaping the world of work into a kinder, more inclusive space. Please welcome Ruth Wood. Hello, Ruth, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Debbie. Thanks very much for having me. Ruth, what does compassionate leadership mean to you? For me, compassionate leadership is a very active thing. I mean, I guess it goes back to what you think compassion means. And for me, it's sort of on a spectrum, if you like. When you respond to something, it's about you can respond with sympathy, you can respond with pity, you can respond with empathy. But for me, when you respond with compassion, It's not just about sympathizing or empathizing. For me, compassion is all about helping somebody else or helping yourself to respond to a challenging kind of situation or circumstance. And that means that it's an active thing. It's not just an emotion or feeling somebody else's emotions. It's about doing something actively to help and support either yourself or somebody else. Can you share an example of what this might look like? Yeah, I mean, I have experienced compassionate leadership and it's something that when I've been leading teams and departments that I've tried myself to kind of embody. I can talk in a bit about some of the challenges around that, but an example of that that I've experienced was quite some time ago now, I was working for a female leader who shall remain nameless. She had a bit of a reputation for being quite tough. I think unfairly, some people found her quite aggressive at times. I think she was forthright and extremely smart. And I hit a point in my life where a lot of difficult things came together. I was hit with a virus that damaged my brain a little bit, not in an extreme way, but it really affected my balance and ended up with a condition that was really quite debilitating and kind of meant that for a while, while I was kind of doing intensive physio and things, I was having periods off work. I was having a lot of support. And at the same time, I also found out that I wasn't going to be able to conceive and have children. I'd fairly recently kind of been married and was a little bit older and, you know, we really wanted to start a family. And I had this point where all of these really tough things kind of came together and I'd done a lot of quite big roles quite stressful jobs and 
I just, I could feel my resilience kind of almost ebbing out of me. You know, when you're kind of in fight mode all the time, you feel like a bit of a warrior, but you can only hold that up for so long on your own. And I consider myself very grateful that she was my boss at that particular point in time because she could have given me lots of sympathy. She could have pitied me. She could have given me all sorts of empathy, but that wouldn't have actually done anything for me. And what really helped me was that she was crystal clear about where I stood, you know, in terms of employment and time off and all the rest of it. But she also really supported me to access the help that I needed at that time. So she was really clear with me about what my responsibilities were in that period in terms of work. And But she worked with me to make everything as manageable and adaptable as possible in terms of what I needed at that time. And for me, that was a huge relief, partly from the clarity that I got from her. I knew where I stood and partly also from the support that I got. You know, if I'd had a boss at that time who wasn't prepared to sort of put themselves out, to set things up for me, to kind of reach out, to to work with me, to figure out what I could and couldn't do in that period to get occupational health involved and all of those different things, I would have really floundered and I would have left a career probably or had to leave a career that I really didn't want to. And it got me through that really tough stage. She was looking at my track record. She was thinking about what would be possible in future from an organisational point of view. And frankly, she was also just a human being. You know, she did offer some empathy, not maybe as much as some would have, but, but I didn't need that. What I needed from her was the support and the clarity to help me kind of get through that really tough period of my life. And just on a personal note as well, because despite this awful news, you did actually go on to grow a family. Do you want to just quickly? Yes. So, um, (laughs) yes, I now have three children. We chose to adopt our children rather than go through all the fertility stuff. I'm quite a driven person and I know that I don't know when to stop things sometimes. And I was really concerned that if we had kind of gone through the IVF route that I wouldn't know when enough was enough. And I know myself well enough to to appreciate that about myself, but to know that while it has its positives, it can have its negatives. And we now have three amazing kids who, yeah, have been with us seven years now. Um, So it's been a while. And yeah, that was quite a journey in itself. (laughs) That's amazing. Talking about the impact of a compassionate leader, Mm. how does practicing compassion as a leader impact team dynamics and the overall productivity? If you look at the research, it shows that practicing compassionate leadership is a really positive thing in terms of building trust and psychological safety in a team. and. You know, we we know that that is the foundation of high performance in teams, and there's tons of research out there around that. It creates an environment where people know where they stand. They know that their humanity and their whole self will be recognised in the workplace, not just I'm going to push out this report today or I'm going to build that thing today. And when people feel safe and they feel that they can trust their leader and that they can trust the people around them, that creates the opportunity for much more creativity. It creates the opportunity for failure, which might sound a bit odd, but 
if we're going to innovate and create new things and new ways of doing things and improve, we're only going to be able to do that when we can fail. And we can only fail when we have leaders who we know are not going to blame and shame, where they're going to actually go, right, okay, what have we learned from that? How do we move on? And yeah, so I think compassionate leadership can really create that environment. It's something that's really big in health and social care, not always practiced, but the concept is really important because the consequences of failure are much greater. I mean, if you look at the work of somebody like Amy Edmondson around, well, she's got a new book out on failing, but also around psychological safety and around team dynamics, her work on psychological safety and everything came out of research that she was doing in healthcare, where she was looking at failure rates in terms of surgeries and things like that. And what she actually discovered were the failure rates were much higher when there was an environment where people didn't feel safe to speak up if they felt there was a mistake or a surgeon or a consultant was doing something that was potentially unsafe. And she compared that then to when people did feel that they could speak up and they did feel safe. And again, a lot of that comes from, it comes from psychological safety, but that psychological safety comes from working with leaders who create that dynamic in their team. They have that compassion they see the humanity. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily always nice, but it means that you can trust them, that they're going to be truthful and honest. And if you need support, they're going to support you. So there are different leadership styles. So how can one be a compassionate leader and maintain authority at the same time? How do you strike that balance? So I think striking the balance comes down to being respected. And I guess it depends what you think people are going to respect you for. Leadership is tough. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And being able to flex styles is important. But if you show people compassion, if you recognize their humanity, if you recognize that they're going to get things wrong, they're going to have stuff going on in their personal lives, they are going to need support as well as clarity. And over time, again, all the research around this shows that in terms of a team's motivation or an individual's motivation, they're going to be much more motivated by being trusted, given a task or a a challenge and allowed to figure out their own way towards the answer than they are by somebody kind of with a big stick bashing them. So if you kind of practice compassion in your leadership style, and it might not be the only approach that you take, you know, that's half of the skill of leadership is knowing which levers to pull when. But if you have somebody who fundamentally wants to work and is trying and is committed to what they're they're there to do, then showing them compassion is only going to enhance that sense of motivation, that sense of being trusted and that sense of wanting to do a good job. And when somebody wants to do a good job, they're going to give you everything they've got. And how does that build into, for example, if you're managing a difficult team or even a difficult situation, which may involve, I don't know, bullying or harassment, for example, and you're trying to control that, but in a compassionate way. This is a really tough one, but I think thinking back to that boss that I had, one of the things about compassion is it's not about niceness. And I think that's worth repeating because it's about clarity 
it's about being clear about what the rules are and what isn't isn't acceptable and setting the boundaries within which people work so that within those boundaries they can trust. That trust is obviously broken when we're in situations where there is bullying or harassment and these things happen. To me as a compassionate leader, compassion in that scenario is compassion for both parties. So compassion for the person and making sure that person who is on the receiving end of the bullying and harassment is supported, is able to still do their job and is protected from any ongoing issues with the person who is doing the bullying or harassing and making sure that they get any support that they need from the wider organisation. I think for the person who is doing the bullying, I think there's a real opportunity because nobody becomes a bully without having experienced something pretty negative themselves. So for me in that scenario, compassion is being very clear that that behaviour is unacceptable, but also being curious about what's driving it. There's lines with that. You're not there to be a therapist. There is a line around being clear about what your responsibility is in that scenario. And primarily that's making sure the person who's the victim of bullying or harassment is protected and safe and getting whatever support is required. It's also about making sure, of course, that the HR processes are all kicked in as soon as humanly possible and that they are followed very clearly. But within that, there is also an opportunity for connection and understanding. What happens off the back of that is down to the the person perpetrating the bullying or harassing. You know, it's their choice as to whether they want to have that conversation or not, of course. But to show them some compassion in that scenario could potentially unlock something pretty big for them. And going back to the connection that you just mentioned, Mm. is it possible for leaders to encourage team members to embrace compassion in their interactions with each other? I think any leader is also a role model. You're role modelling behaviours within your team. You're also role modelling to a much wider audience as well because reputations matter and people see the way that you are. And if you get a reputation, people might not use the word compassion. But if there is that quality to the the dynamics within your team and you are modelling that and you are working with that team to set the parameters around what is acceptable and unacceptable in the team, what the ideal behaviours are that you want to see, the values that you want to embody, and exploring how that plays out in terms of the way that people act with each other and interact with each other day to day. There is nothing worse than artificial harmony. You know, that thing where there's all the stuff under the surface and on top everybody is all nicey-nicey, but you know under the surface that there's all sorts going on, Mm. but nobody will come out and say it. So it's getting your team to a point where they trust each other enough to be able to have the difficult conversations as well. Because again, when people can't be open and honest, that's when those difficult dynamics start bubbling up. When the snidey remarks or the slightly passive aggressive approaches kind of start making an appearance or when the internal dialogue of, I don't like what she says, I'm not going to do that. And people start digging their heels in and you get that sort of disrespect creeping in and that sort of refusal really to kind of engage fully in what the team is doing. 
that all stems from people not feeling safe enough to have those difficult conversations and not trusting each other enough. For me, this is one of the fundamental things as a leader. You're building a team if you want a high performing team. Focusing on this, making it a priority is absolutely pivotal to that success. And then making it a priority is pivotal to the success. But how do you measure that success? To me, if teams are thinking about success, there has to be kind of a broad trajectory kind of set, obviously, by the organisation and whoever the leader is. But the team has to really be involved in articulating what that success looks like and in agreeing how they're going to measure their success, not only in terms of what the output is, but also potentially in how they choose to get to that outcome or output. Work with lots of teams where there is a real focus on delivery and there is a real focus on outcome. And of course, that is important. That's what you're there to do. That's the job. There are fewer teams who kind of regularly reflect on how they've got there, on the relationships, on how they are working together. You might kind of get the exception of an annual away day where there might be a little session on that. But there are very few teams out there who build that into how they operate. And yet that is part of what creates that sense of trust and honesty and being able to put the difficult stuff on the table. It's also having that time to reflect as a team on, okay, how do we get there? How are our relationships going? Could we improve anything? And making those sorts of tweaks, not just kind of, right, we missed that KPI, what we're going to do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that what we're going to do about it can't just be about the functional stuff. It also has to be about the how we get there together and how we operate together in order to do that. How do you envision the role of compassion evolving in leadership in the future? I think in the world that we live in now, it's going to become more and more important. And I, I think as well, when more and more teams are operating hybrid, there's less physical time together. It's going to have to become a much more deliberate thing that people are focused on in order to retain the level of connection that people need in order to work well together. Um, I think if we're if we're talking about pace of change and you know all the technology driven changes that we're sort of experiencing and are you know that's not going to stop and that pace has only increased over time and that'll probably continue. If we are going to, as human beings, kind of retain our resilience and our ability to create and innovate, the importance of creating that sense of trust and safety in teams is only going to grow, I think. And hopefully reduce burnout, which is what we're currently seeing now. Well, I think this is one of the other things, you know, if you think about resilience, it's Some people think about it as being tough and strong and we're just going to power through this, that and the other. I just don't see it like that at all. Resilience is about our ability to adapt to change. And when you think about how much the pace of change has increased, it's not really surprising that we're being stretched in this way, that people are burning out. We've not really got necessarily a deliberate enough focus on the human side of change. It's great rolling out lots of new technology and everything, but unless we're also 
helping people to develop. And it is possible to develop and grow a resilience. Unless we're helping people to do that, then people are going to continue to burn out. Um, Change is stressful. It puts stress on our bodies. We're already living in very stressful times. You know, our cortisol goes through the roof. That can often mean as well that we're pushing our brains into more of a fight or flight response. And when we get into that place and we're in fight or flight, it's no wonder that workplace dynamics are becoming more difficult, that there's potentially increasing amounts of negative conflict in teams as opposed to healthy conflict, which can be great for creativity. But if you are under stress, and again, this is a really important thing for leaders in terms of compassion, if you are not building your own resilience and looking after your own resilience, when you're under periods of stress, it is increasingly difficult to find the mental capacity to offer other people compassion. There is such a thing as compassion fatigue. As an adopter, it's something that I hear a lot about because when you are in an environment where there are lots of demands being placed on you, that other people are stressed, burnt out, needing more and more and more support from you, the psychological reaction to that when it becomes too much when your own stress levels are too high, when your own resilience becomes low, is compassion fatigue. And that leads to you psychologically withdrawing and withdrawing your support and withdrawing your compassion from other people. And it is a very natural response. Your brain is protecting itself. Again, in leadership roles, in order to be able to offer other people compassion, In order to be able to retain a real sense of perspective, you really need that focus on your own resilience. What can a leader do to start thinking about compassion? Because they may be halfway through a leadership journey. They haven't maybe displayed the compassion that we've discussed so far. But reflecting back on your own experience and how you envisage compassion being crucial in a leadership role, what is the first steps that someone can do? You sort of hinted at it a little bit there in the question, actually. I think the first thing is raising your self-awareness around compassion and actually thinking about your own behaviours at the moment. What are those behaviours? Are you demonstrating compassion anywhere? Are you experiencing compassion or have you experienced compassion? And you know, spending some time just with yourself thinking about, actually, who do I see around me who shows compassion in their leadership style? What does that look like? What have I experienced in terms of compassion? What has that enabled for me? And then just spend some time thinking about, well, if I was to start to integrate some of this into my leadership, what would I be doing differently? What would I be doing that I'm not doing now? And some of that is really starting to think about your team's needs on an individual level. And it's thinking about it in terms of performance as well. So it's not compassion for compassion's sake. There is a purpose to this. So it's really starting to look at people and sort of think, okay, I see you. Some of those behaviours are maybe not quite what I want to see. Let's have a conversation about that what is it that they are missing that they need in order to be able to 
perform in a different way, what's going on in their life that is potentially impacting. It's really about knowing your people, knowing your people, understanding them and taking the time to really focus on that rather than just the bottom line, the KPIs or what's in your chart. Ruth, I think our discussion has been really enlightening and I'm really hoping that the audience will get so much from what we have discussed. And I just want to thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you, Debbie. Thank you so much. If you would like further details about Ruth, then please follow the links in the show notes. <laughs>